You're listening to Simply Put, a podcast from FHN Financial. I'm your host, Will Comperl. Four times per year, the Federal Reserve releases a Summary of Economic Projections, or SEP, to show markets where the FOMC feels the economy and monetary policy are heading. There's always a lot of discussion regarding the Fed's so-called dot plot in particular, but how are investors meant to interpret this part of the Fed's communication? On today's episode, we talk with Sophia Kearney-Letterman, a senior economist with FHN Financial, to better understand the Fed's summary of economic projections and what information it's communicating at this stage of the Fed's tightening cycle. Stay tuned. Coming up soon, our interview with Sophia Kearney-Letterman, Senior Economist with FHN Financial. But first, a quick market update. Big news the last couple weeks has been the relentless climb in longer-term Treasury yields. Tens, twenties, and thirties all reached new cycle highs this week. Markets are starting to digest the implications of the higher-for-longer communicated by the Fed's last dot plot. We think the long part of the curve is oversold right now, but rising Treasury issuance and robust economic growth will keep giving upward pressure to yields. The employment report this morning showed payrolls grew 336,000 in September, essentially twice the consensus expectation. With the unemployment rate unchanged at 3.8%, there are no clear signs of significant labor market weakening. Last week, August PCE data showed core inflation rose only 0.1%, capping off a third consecutive month of encouraging inflation data. The inflation trajectory has unambiguously improved over this time, even in the Fed's super core inflation series that they believe is a good gauge for underlying inflation. The bond market's muted response to the PCE release comes in part from the realization that Fed officials plan on keeping policy restrictive even with signs that inflation is easing. The tight labor market and above-trend economic growth are keeping the Fed on its toes, feeling these signs of overheating pose an upside risk to future inflation. As of this morning, the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now tracking model is predicting 4.9% Q3 GDP growth. The federal government managed to avoid a shutdown last weekend with a continuing resolution passed hours before the October 1st deadline. Kevin McCarthy lost the speakership after a small group of Republican representatives moved to oust him for not using the opportunity to drastically cut spending. Who fills his position remains an open question, but the threat of another shutdown November 17th, when the current funding runs out, now looms large. That's all for the market update this time. Now, our interview with Sophia Kearney-Letterman. Our guest today is Sophia Kearney-Letterman, Senior Economist with FHN Financial. Sophia, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Will. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Our topic today is how to understand the Fed's dot plot and summary of economic projections. What goes into them, what we should and should not conclude from them, and whether they're valuable at this point in the tightening cycle. Sophia, before we dive into all of those things, give us a quick reminder about how the Fed is organized. Whenever we say the Fed, what does that really mean? Yeah, I think it's a great place to start, Will, because even as an economist, we talk about the Fed, you see it a lot in the news and the media, but I think a lot of people don't really understand how the Federal Reserve is organized, and even more importantly, what the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee is. So the Federal Reserve is the U.S. Central Bank, right? It is the group that oversees monetary policy. It promotes stability in financial institutions. It supervises and regulates financial institutions. 
and it really promotes consumer protection and community development as well. Now, when we say the Federal Reserve, it's often used sort of as a synonym with the FOMC, but the FOMC is actually part of the Federal Reserve. So the Fed is made up of three parts. FOMC is one, and then the other are the Board of Governors, which is seven members, including the chair and a vice chair. All members of the Board of Governors are nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. The vice chair and the chair serve four-year terms. All other members serve 14-year terms. So that's the Board of Governors. And then beyond that, there's 12 regional Federal Reserve banks. All of those banks have a Federal Reserve president, right? Um, and then they also individually have their own board of directors. Then there's the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee. That is the group within the Federal Reserve that sets monetary policy. And how the FOMC works is it includes all of those seven board of governors members, and then it has all of the regional presidents are involved in the FOMC, but when it comes to voting on monetary policy, there's a rotating group of voters. So the president of the New York Federal Reserve always votes, and then four of the other remaining 11 presidents vote on a rotating annual schedule. So it's a little bit confusing because it's sort of like three different groups, but there's there's overlaps with all of them. But hopefully that sort of clarifies it a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's really important because um, even the way that we write um, or you, you read in the media, the Fed and the FOMC are used pretty often interchangeably. When we say that the Fed is raising rates, it's actually this open market committee uh, component of the Fed. So I think that's helpful, that that distinction for when we talk about monetary policy, the kind of groups that we're actually um, thinking about. So the Fed has scheduled uh, monetary policy decisions eight times a year. They're about six weeks apart um, outside of emergency situations like March of 2020, but four times a year when they have uh, these decisions in March, June, September, and December, they also release uh, a dot plot and a summary of economic projections, or SEP. At a fundamental level, what are these things showing, the dot plot and the SEP? Yeah, so we just got one. Um, so it's very topical, right? At the, the September meeting, you mentioned four times a year, it's the end of every quarter. And at a fundamental level, what they are is sort of um, gut check of what the different members of the FOMC. And so just as a reminder, that's all seven board of governors and then all 12 regional Fed presidents. What all of those 19 individuals project for four main economic indicators. So it's real GDP, PCE, core PCE, and unemployment. And then there's the dot plot, which you mentioned as well, which is part of the SEP. And that is an expectation for the federal funds rate at the end of each year. So the appropriate level of monetary policy. And again, at a fundamental level, it's called a projection, right? So some people often think of it as the Fed's forecast, and that's what it is. But it really is, you know, I consider it more of sort of a gut check in the moment of what the different Fed officials think about these different indicators and the Fed funds target. It is anonymous for the most part, right? The dot plot is the only thing that we see individual. You know, there's 19 dots for each year, 19 individuals. And then for the other metrics in the SEP, um, it's pretty anonymous. We get a range, a central tendency, and then a median for the different um, metrics that are included. You know, a lot of people want to think of a forecast as sort of a crystal ball. As economists, that's a lot of what we try to do. But I, I like to think of it more as a gut check. Um, than a prediction of the future from Fed officials. I think that I, that description of it being a gut check is really helpful and, and, and makes it 
pretty clear why a dot plot uh, really involves a lot of analysis, a lot of interpretation um, from some from some very smart people uh, like those on this podcast, um, because it is not um, a commitment, it's not a promise, um, and it's not even a forecast. But of course, it's a gut check based on a lot of other moving parts, right? So it's where they project Fed funds should be based on where they think the economy should be, which of course is itself a very imperfect crystal ball into the future. There's usually a lot of focus on the median dot, the one that's right in the middle of all the projections. And I get that, you know, when when we talk about these projections, it's really helpful to boil it down to one number, right? If you, if you want to talk about the dot plot, uh, what it shows at the end of 2023 or end of 2024, you can only fit 19 different estimates into such a a length of a paragraph, simplifying that down to one number makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, do you think that this can somewhat oversimplify thoughts within the FOMC when we have a wide range of views? Totally. I think it makes sense that there's focus on the medium, kind of like you just said, right? How do we talk about something when there is such a range of opinions we know? But I think particularly in times like right now, when there is probably more uncertainty. Well, I'll say in my career, it feels like there's more uncertainty than there's ever been, not only among street economists as to what's going to happen, but also amongst Fed officials. And so in times like this, when there is so much uncertainty about where the economy is headed, I actually think that the median is good to know, but I think that the the range and the central tendency almost hold more weight. And the reason is because, right, You think about, you mentioned a lot of smart people put these forecasts together, right? There is a whole, you know, the Federal Reserve employs over 400 PhD economists. Each Federal Reserve bank has its own team. So there's a lot of really smart, really educated, data-centric people looking at all these different indicators and putting together these forecasts. And there are difference of opinions amongst Fed officials. And I think that particularly, again, in times like now, when there's so much uncertainty, it's really important to understand those differences as well. And so I think the median gets a lot of focus um, and I get why, but I think it's really important not to forget to look for those central tendencies and ranges and also to see how those shift every quarter to quarter in those SEP projections. I want to get back to that in, in just a second, but to take the September dot plot as one point of reference, came out September 20th, What can we infer from it about where the terminal rate will be or what to expect for rate cuts next year? Because I think those are the two pressing questions uh, for a lot of investors right now. How high is the Fed going to go? And then when and how much will they cut potentially next year? So what does the dot plot tell us about that? If anyone has been paying attention um, in the last week, we had the Fed meeting um, was September 19th and 20th. And if anyone saw anything in the news, I'm sure you saw that the key takeaway was higher rates for a longer time. And really that entire tagline came from what we saw in the dot plot. Because what we saw in the dot plot was the median, I just mentioned, we probably shouldn't focus entirely on the median, but the median for the 2023 rate didn't change. The median expectation is still 5.625 is the median, um, another 25 basis points expected between now and year end based on that median. And that is a reflection of 12 dots at that level. So you think about the seven remaining just below applying no more hikes this year, but 12, the majority at that median. That didn't change from what we had in the previous projections in June, but we saw the median expectation for 24 and 25 drift a little bit higher. 
Um, so the medians in both those years now 50 basis points higher in September's dot plot than they were in June's at 5.1 for 2024 and 3.9 for 2025. And so what does that suggest? It suggests that the Fed thinks that they're going to need to keep rates at a higher level, not that they're going to raise anymore, right, necessarily, because if you think 5.6 at the end of 2023, 5.1 at the end of 2024, that would imply that they expect to cut next year, but that they're going to keep rates at a higher level for longer. And I think one thing that's really interesting about the dot plot as well is that it only reflects participants' projections for the Fed funds rate at the end of the year, right? So you think about it, doesn't say anything about what might happen during the course of the year. It just means at the end of the year. Obviously, markets interpret, right? If you see a 5.6 at the end of 2023 and a 5.1 at the end of 2024, that implies rate cuts at some point. But does it also suggest that they could continue raising and then cut more? That is a possibility because you're only seeing that expectation for the end of the year. And I think that that's something that people often don't think about um, or often don't even sort of factor into their analysis of the dot plots at all. And just to put it a little bit more clearly, because I think this is a really important point. If the Fed were to do its last rate hike this cycle in January, February, March of next year, you don't really see that anywhere in the dot plot because it is in between end 2023 and end 2024 um, but what we can still infer from the 2024 dots is, you know, the Fed has now moved up its projections of where rates will be at the end of next year. So whether the magnitude of cuts is the same as they thought in June, it's still going to end at a higher level. Of course, with the caveat that these dots are just a gut check and not a forecast or a promise. We're a couple minutes into this, and I haven't mentioned that at all, right? Even, you know, Powell in his press conference and every Fed official who will talk about their projections, some people do come forward and claim their dots um, after these meetings. Um, everyone makes it very clear that this is just an assessment of what they think the appropriate level of monetary policy will be in the moment they submit their projections. It is not a commitment to a certain rate. Um, it is not a promise by any extent. And as we know, every quarter, and as we've seen, particularly this cycle, it will change every quarter, the dot plot, right? We're going to see movement in the dots. And I, I will just mention as well, you know, I mentioned the medians of, of the dot plot in September. Um, but really, one of the biggest things was that you also saw the central tendencies in the ranges for 24, 25, and even the longer run drift a little bit higher as well. So it wasn't just necessarily the median. It was also those wider metrics that I think are equally as important to watch. When it comes to this, this gut check that goes into the dots or the submissions for information uh, for the different economic variables, what goes into those gut checks? Um, so you, you talked about how the Fed is full of all these researchers, all these PhD economists. They have tons of models, you know, predict where the economy is going, and some of them have different conclusions. So how do the FOMC participants use all of that information to come to their forecasts? And do you think there's ever a difference in what their staffs project for the economy and what they decide to submit? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, there's a good amount of clarity, but there's also some unknowns, right? We're never, well, I'll never say never, but most likely we're never going to be sitting in the room with them to know sort of what the actual discussions are, unless you work at the Fed, see the behind the scenes. But basically, 
each participant puts together a projection, right? And so when you think about the Federal Reserve, which is those seven Board of Governors members, and then you have the regional presidents, um, they're all bringing together different data that they're looking at. So the regional Fed presidents often are, are looking at more regional data, more specific data. They all have their own teams. They put together their projections. And then the Federal Reserve officials as well have staff economists. And one of the things that I think is really kind of cool when you think about it is that people, I think, often think the Fed has a bunch of data or inside information that the rest of us, maybe street economists or others, don't have. And I'm sure that they do um, have some, but a lot of what the Fed is looking at is the same data, the same government data, the same survey data that a lot of us sort of street economists and people in markets are able to watch as well. It's part of why when you look at sort of staff projections, or excuse me, participants' projections for different indicators, GDP, for example, right, as we saw in the September projections, it reflects a lot of what we've seen in the actual GDP data and the data that feeds into GDP expectations for stronger growth than we saw in June. So basically all the staffs have different projections, all the groups, and you mentioned sort of the staff and the participants. One thing we do know from the meeting minutes that get released a couple of weeks after the meeting is that there is a discussion amongst the participants. So those 19 people that actually submit projections about their projections. And then there's also a discussion from the Federal Reserve staff that has their own projections. And the two don't necessarily have to say the same thing, right? The, the median expectation of participants and then the staff's forecast as well. But we know that there is a discussion there. In terms of, I thought this was kind of cool, doing a little bit of research for this discussion we are going to have, when are projections actually submitted, right? Because I think we get to submit projections and sometimes make edits. Initial projections are due from participants on the Friday before the meeting. The meetings are Tuesdays and Wednesdays the week after. They can make revisions to their projections until the evening of the first day. So the evening of the Tuesday meeting, they can make revisions and then those are finalized at the end of the day on that Tuesday to be presented to the public on Wednesday, which I think is, is kind of cool to know, right? They go and they can have some discussion, I think, and then they can make adjustments to their projections after a day of, of meeting. That's really helpful context because uh, I believe it was sometime in the summer of last year where we headed into the free meeting silent period where Fed officials can't make any public commentary uh, about monetary policy. I believe it's in the 10 days or so before the FOMC decision is announced. Um, so we headed into that with very clear expectations for a 50 basis point hike. And then they shifted it to 75 basis points because of a, a pretty tough inflation number uh, paired with, I believe, a, a, an article in the Wall Street Journal that uh, appeared to have some an inside scoop, I guess, uh, on, on what the Fed was going to do. So it is still malleable that the FOMC participants can change their mind um, really up until that Tuesday night if the data kind of come in um, in a way that makes them ch change their mind. Yeah, and, you know, again, that's one of those things until... Unless you're one of the people who gets to be in that meeting, we'll never know how much they change their forecasts. But I think it's it's kind of good to know they're not necessarily set in stone. Um, you know, thinking about the next one we're going to get is going to be for the December meeting. And there's actually the CPI report is scheduled for that Tuesday morning of the Fed meeting. So that's probably one of those instances I would imagine if I was someone who was submitting a projection. I'd love to see the data Tuesday morning before I submit my inflation forecast for sure. I think one other thing that comes to mind, this idea that the SEP and dot plot um, are the gut check of FOMC participants, 
So you mentioned how they have the same data for the most part that we do, but something that really separates them uh, from from us is they make monetary policy, which means they have, uh, to some extent, an ability to steer the economy. And they're also uh, public servants. They're, they're independent. You know, it's a quasi-public sector institution. But I think they also need to project an ability to have control in terms of uh, fulfilling their dual mandate of full employment and uh, price stability. And they also, even if they really thought they were going to tighten into a recession, they probably would stay away from that. Um, so do you think it's, it's also important to keep in mind that sometimes their projections are aspirational or more in the context of them being these public servants um, than what their models might actually predict? Yeah, I love saying that their their projections are aspirational. It's one of the really big differences between when you think about the Fed's projections and sort of a street economist forecast, right? When we submit forecasts as economists on the street, we're trying to assess what we think will happen based on what we think monetary policy might be and, and, and other factors, right? The Fed is setting policy themselves. So when they submit forecasts, and particularly when they submit their dot plot, right, they're actually saying what level they think is the appropriate monetary policy level based on other factors. I think there are certain things in the Fed forecast that probably will never be there, right? Earlier in this cycle, Powell was talking a lot when he gave press conferences about pain. Remember, you said, he said a lot, you know, there might be some pain, which was sort of a, a code word, I think, for recession. But there was never really an actual recession in the Fed's forecast. And that's part of exactly what you just said, right? The, the Fed is sort of aspirational in what they're going to try to do, because when push comes to shove, they have a dual mandate from Congress for stable prices and full employment. And their policy decisions and their projections are going to reflect what they think they need to do to achieve that mandate. Yeah, and this is um, outside of the Federal Reserve, but I know the Bank of Japan and the European Central Bank, um, they struggled to get inflation up to 2%, their, their target, um, for a lot of the last decade. But if they ever put in their forecast that they weren't able to do it, it kind of uh, concedes defeat in their effectiveness of a central bank. So I don't think the Fed is, is entirely in that situation. Um, but of course, it puts into a better context that... Um, they always need to project this idea that they um, are able to fulfill their policy goals. Yeah, and I think that's one of the actual benefits of the SEP and the dot plot. It's a moment for the Fed to almost put forward projections that reinforce their credibility. Now, some might think differently, right? Because, you know, they get asked, Powell just got asked at the last press conference about, you know, you've had a lot of changes in your forecasts. So some might say differently, but I think that in some ways it is a, is a chance for the Fed to send a message to the markets with these projections that they expect to achieve, you know, in this case, inflation coming down to their 2% target in the long run based on their policy. I think that's a really uh, interesting kind of segue into uh, the last topic I want to address, which is the value of these projections. Earlier on um, in this tightening cycle, uh, even before the Fed started tightening, but they recognized inflation was too high, they could start talking about raising rates, and that could tighten financial conditions before they even changed policy. Earlier, about, let's say, 10, 15 years ago, uh, when the economy really needed to recover, they could, again, use this idea of forward guidance to let markets know um, that they intended to keep rates at a certain level very low in the instance 15 years ago, 
and then higher uh, in this most recent episode, uh, that it was a way of telling markets where they were going with policy without making a promise. Um, and I think that that made a lot of sense earlier on in this tightening cycle when they didn't want to jump from a Fed funds rate of 0.25% to 5.5% overnight. Uh, you know, they wanted to do it incrementally. But at this stage of the tightening cycle, when they say they are making decisions meeting by meeting, they're in kind of the, the, fine, the fine-tuning stage of tightening, what is the value of the dot plot when they're explicitly moving away from forward guidance and really don't want to commit to any idea of where they're going to be a year from now? Do you think it's causing more confusion than clarity? It's a great question. And it's funny you mentioned 15-ish years ago. The dot plot was actually only introduced at the beginning of 2012. And it was introduced exactly for sort of what you just said. It was the Fed trying to prepare markets for the idea that rates were going to come off the zero lower bound. Now, they didn't raise rates until the end of 2015, um, but they added the dot plot again as this idea of sort of adding some forward guidance. In that instance, yeah, there was there was value, right? It set up the long lead into the Fed lifting off the zero lower bound. But I think exactly what you said right now is, is sort of the difficult part in that there's so much data dependency and there's so much uncertain about where the economy is going to go. And, and by that, I mean, you know, what growth is going to look like um, in the next six months to 12 months, what inflation trajectory actually is going to be after the rapid decline we saw at the first half of this year, but now we have energy prices rising. There's so much uncertainty, and we know that the Fed is going to make um, meeting by meeting monetary policy decisions that I, I don't think the dot plot necessarily adds more confusion, but I think it's it's a good reminder for people to just Remember that it's a snapshot of a point in time and that, yes, in sort of more normal policy cycles, um, it's a good reflection, you know, every three months to check in. But that these days, because things are changing so quickly, because there is so much data dependency, the September dot plot is really a reflection of what participants are going to have thought in the middle of September, which might not be what they're thinking in the middle of November next time they meet, depending on the data that we get. And so I think for now, it's more of a directional guide and less so anything that should be followed too specifically. Um, again, I think the central tendency and the range have a bigger sort of weight now than the median because of that. But I definitely think there's, there's some contention around whether the dot plot is useful. I saw someone on CNBC last week say the dots are stupid, um, which I thought was a little bit too strong. But, you know, I think they're helpful. Again, it's a good gut check. It's the only thing we get that's very specific from Fed officials. And so we watch it very closely. You know, we take a lot of time to look at it and assess it. But I think now it's important to remember that it's a it's a gut check at a moment in time that doesn't necessarily hold for the entire three months until we get another one. Sophia Kearney-Letterman, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Will. That was Sophia Kearney-Lederman, senior economist with FHN Financial. There are a couple things Sophia mentioned that I think are really important as we think about Fed policy right now. The first is that the dot plot is not a commitment from Fed officials by any means. It's just a gut check based on a lot of economic forecasts that themselves involve a good amount of uncertainty. The second is that the dot plot only shows Fed funds projections at the end of a given year, so we can't necessarily infer where the terminal rate will be if it comes at any point in the middle of the year. The next big data release will be the September CPI next week on Thursday. 
Another month of slow core inflation could give the Fed permission to keep rates unchanged at the November 1st meeting, but year-over-year measures are still a good distance from the longer-run 2% target. The September retail sales report will be released the following week, giving some crucial consumer spending data as analysts refine their Q3 GDP estimates. The advanced Q3 GDP release will be out October 26th. Next Wednesday, we'll see the minutes from the FOMC's September meeting. The minutes could give insights into the important debates happening within the FOMC, considering the disagreement over how much higher interest rates need to go and how much they will fall next year. The November 1st FOMC decision is still just under four weeks away, but Fed officials have less time to publicly comment on monetary policy and shape market expectations. The customary pre-meeting silent period begins two weeks from today. As it stands this morning, markets are expecting a roughly 1 in 4 probability the Fed hikes 25 basis points in November, and a 50-50 chance there will be at least one more hike this cycle. That's all for today's episode. Thanks again for listening. I'm Will Comperl, macro strategist with FHN Financial. This episode was edited by Bill Stanfield. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Simply Put wherever you get your podcasts. Email simplyput at fhnfinancial.com with any questions, comments, or concerns. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. Views expressed herein accurately reflect the speaker's personal views about the data, news, trends, events, etc. discussed herein or any subject securities or issuers. No part of their compensation was, is, or will be, directly or indirectly, related to any specific recommendations or views expressed. FHN Financial, through First Horizon Bank or its affiliates, offers investment products and services. Investment products are not FDIC insured, have no bank guarantee, and may lose value.